Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over This fellow Ronaldo is a cop. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, that's actually a cop, sir. I have to use mindy language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I've got a chop punches. What you doing down here? You're showing me, man. Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. You're very welcome to the show. Glad you could join us. Owen, Ken and Murph all here. Hello there, Owen. Hi, Kieran. How do you know? Hi, Kieran. I mean, I got the names wrong. Big weekend for Olivier Giroud, folks. Not only did he head in the equaliser against Manchester United on Saturday, but last night, I'm sure you would have seen this, of course, he managed to get some TV FaceTime during one of the most star-studded sporting events I think I've ever watched. ATP World Tour Finals, tennis. Mm-hmm. Andy Murray beats Novak Djokovic to finish the year as world number one. Mm-hmm. If you were in the crowd at the O2 Arena in London and you weren't super famous, I'm sorry, you just weren't getting picked out by the TV. Well, I've got to look again at the security. Well, on the other hand, that would mean that you're definitely sitting beside two super famous people. So yeah. how bad, you know? Yeah. If that's your thing, then hey, it's, that's a major result. Selfies. I'm talking about every break and play here. Who's that? Oh, it's, it's just Jared Piquet sitting next to his friend, apparently Kevin Spacey. Oh, yeah. Wasn't aware they were friends. Or Frank Underwood, Underwood and his biographer, as Jerry Kelly tweeted me. <laughs> That's one for you. How's the cards, fans? There, can Jared Piquet looks a he bit does like, look a uh, bit like that, that guy. Biographer, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, wait a minute, isn't that that's bloody Woody Harrelson at the tennis? That's yeah, he was Woody genuinely Lord. delighted to be on the big screen as well. You don't often see that with <laughs> a lot of celebrities. Will give it the full, you know, just dead-eyed t- uh, thousand-yard stare to ensure that being on a big screen is, you know, this is ten a penny. Woody Harrelson reacted like. Uh, <laughs> A male supporter at a late evening Saturday, uh, late Saturday evening throw-in in Castlebar, uh, <laughs> at the prospect of being on live television. Who else was there? Jude Law. You saw him. Clive Owen. Sam Smith. Uh, the list goes on. In the middle of it all, a beaming, and I should say, immaculately groomed Olivier Giroud. Oh yeah. Giroud was actually the most groomed out of all those. Well, actually, a lot of those. I suppose you wouldn't describe all of those guys necessarily. Woody Harrelson. Mm, no grooming. Jude no. Law. Not particularly. No. They're kind of a bit more, I don't know, they've got a different look to them. But yeah, Giroud was just was, was, looked like he was tr- out there to make an impression. Mm. And he obviously made one of me, yeah. He is, he is a very well-groomed man, though. I mean, that's a very big beard, but it's a very groomed that's beard. incredible. I feel as though he could uh, tighten up the neck area a bit. He, he does the same thing as you, where he, you essentially let the neck kind of go. Ah, and I, I, respectfully, Ken, I would disagree with yeah, you Yeah, I would say Giroud is a better groomed man than Kieran Murphy. Respectfully I mean, to you, Kieran. Let's and, keep the respect going. And I, I, I respect both of you, <laughs> uh, while also commenting on 
really my beard uh, growth technique is not shave yeah. whereas it's it's it just seems a lot more involved for Olivier Giroud <laughs> it does, it does. you know that sure I'm not going to not shave. shaving is part of it it's part of it but there's a lot more to it Ken is what I'm saying here you know there's there's little nips here little tucks there uh, he's taking care of that on a daily basis Oh, I, is I, shaving. It takes longer for him. He, respectfully, he I would agree yeah. entirely. I would respectfully agree with your agreement of my assessment. We're going to be talking to David Squires <laughs> on the show today. Uh, the Guardian cartoonist, illustrator, football. Uh, he does these amazing football cartoons. If you don't read them for some bizarre reason, you should get on there now. You can follow him on Twitter, David Squires. But uh, I'm sure a lot of you do. And he's got a book out this year. So we're going to talk to him about... Isn't he at Squires underscore David? That's a pretty easy one to remember, Ken. I think, that, I think that's what he is. Uh, yeah, you, he is, yeah. you can double check that there nicely done yeah. so yeah he's got a book out The Illustrated History of Football I'm trying to get the title right here and so we're going to talk to him about that but mostly about just this whole art of I guess lampooning big characters in football and kind of taking down some of the stories of the day which he's absolutely brilliant at and uh, doing it from uh, through a medium which, with which we're not particularly familiar so it should be a good chat yeah, uh, yeah, and he's uh, he's very good actually at, at uh, sending up the nonsense surrounding football more yeah. so than the actual football. I think that's where his oh, true yeah. gift lies. But uh, yeah, he does one every week for the Guardian. That's and there's a crazy story this weekend over in Sweden involving their most famous ever footballer before Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Henrik Larsson, who's managing Helsingborg, and his son, who plays for Helsingborg. Uh, they got relegated at the weekend and the fans didn't take it too well. So we'll get to that a little bit later on. But let's report on some sport, please. Can um, so, Owen, I don't want to, you know, blow my own trumpet here. Mm-hmm, go on. Um, with respect, but just with res- with respect. <clears throat> Excuse me. I uh, I wrote some stuff about Wayne Rooney and his boozing. Yeah, I read it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Just like to tell you some of the responses. Go on. Absolutely bollocks. Says at Mike L U H G. Most of us are not paid three hundred grand a week to look after our bodies. Hmm. My point was basically that nobody who drinks or smokes or takes drugs has the right to criticize Wayne Rooney for drinking. So not that many people have the right to... If you're teetotal, if you're clean living, then absolutely, by all means, wade in. You know, because at least there's some consistency to your outlook. But if you're a drinker, in the way that most of us are, and I don't mean necessarily a problem drinker, I mean a drinker. I mean somebody who drinks alcohol, as opposed to somebody who doesn't. Sorry, Ken, just got to cool, clean, crisp hit of this beer here in front of me. <laughs> then, then you you uh, can't... It's gorgeous stuff, actually. I don't really think that you've got a leg to stand on for, for you know, if you criticise Wayne Rooney for drinking. Why is and it always comes, comes down to this point of, um, of uh, well, he's an athlete. Uh, he's supposed to, um, as, as uh, at Gigi Hoffman says, he has paid insane amounts of money to be an athlete, Olympic athletes would barely afford a night like he does in middle of season. Um, see, uh, James Walsh asks, "What's your stance on humping grannies, Ken?" So, uh, you know, look, there's evidently a bit of skepticism towards this view. It's as though Wayne Rooney, being an athlete who gets paid a lot of money, changes things for him somehow. Whereas the rest of us plebs, our lives don't count. It's okay for us to go around suboptimally. You know, it's okay for us to drink this poison. Wandering on a Monday morning, maybe feel a little hungover. Yeah. Uh, not be able to do your job. How many times have we done that? Think about it. How many times have you been in an office, and if it was a training session, 
the manager would have to cancel it. Yeah, but I don't have to rely on my physical attributes. What about work. your brain? What about your mental attributes? Are you telling me alcohol is confined only to, to damaging your physical capacity? No, you're, but what, it, you're sitting there with your head resting on the table, drinking <laughs> drinking glass after glass of water, right? And 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 literally just emitting a series of low moans. I can't. No, I, I heard it on, and I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't think people. This is going into people's ears. They've, there's a, there's One physical second. intimacy to that sound effect. Stop. What's, get, what's going on here? We're losing the plot. No, I, I think you have a key point to make, Ken, and uh, Simon and Owen are sabotaging it. And I, I actually read your article today. It changed my mind. It changed my mind on things, Ken. And that's about as good a thing as you can ask from an, from an article. The whole idea that 300 grand a week means that he has to be more responsible to his life than we are to ours. No, that, that, that thing of how much people earn is a load of nonsense. But he... You're talking about alcohol having a harmful effect mentally. Yeah. In Rooney's, in the case of a high-level sports person, it has. You're still. You have to be mentally pretty, pretty sharp to be playing sport at top level as well. So you're actually doubly. Give, you know, you're giving yourself a couple of problems there. Well, you're giving mental your, and physical. You're giving yourself the same problems that we that we give ourselves. It's a trade-off that everybody who drinks is accepting. Yeah, I, w- I would say that you're either preparing for your work in a professional manner or you're not. Whether you're you need physical attributes and mental attributes. I mean, if if you're turning up to work and you're not mentally ready to work, then you're not taking it. You're taking it every bit as unseriously as when Rooney is. Do a lot of us not work in jobs where we could probably operate at ninety percent and get by? So does Rooney, by the way. Well, He's, Rooney, Rooney <laughs> is the, Rooney is England's <laughs> captain and record goal scorer. He's been centre forward at Manchester United for and more is this, than ten is this years. Not the problem. If He's he was 100%, probably going to break Bobby Charlton's goal scoring record. How good would he be if he didn't drink? Well, how good, you, how good would you be if you didn't drink? Jeez, I wouldn't be talking to you. <laughs> wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. You wouldn't be paddling in the shallows here. You know what I mean? You could have already been sacked from Match of the Day too by, by this stage in your career. Yeah. The dream, of course. So, but you know, everybody does this, and then you could be on morning television by now, Owen. If you'd really, if you really focus. I, I was actually watching Tim Lovejoy, whatever that show is that goes on for about four hours, and BBC thinking, I haven't seen him in a while. That, that's the job I need again. Tim uh, Lovejoy, early kind of people cooking, people talking. It's if I just didn't drink. So every, everybody can kind of see it when, when Rooney does it. It sort of throws it into stark relief. Oh, what's he doing? He's wasting his talent. He's selling his, himself short. He's selling his teammates short. So are you. Unless you are teetotal. Unless you don't smoke. Unless you never allow any of these mind-altering substances to pass your lips. So are you. I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day. Supposed to look. <laughs> yeah, so I'll tell you, one person who wasn't drinking last night is Simon Hick. Simon Hick, he's, he's all over it. That. He's, he's all over it. He's twitching the over there. Hot Wired keys. almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite enough coffee for you today, Simon. Yeah. Um, so mostly negative reaction to your thoughts. Uh, well, I was, I was obviously zeroing in on the negative reaction. <laughs> you, uh, you maybe you held the mirror up a little too close, Ken. Well, people don't like it. People don't like being told that, you know, they're guilty of exactly the same thing as Wayne Rooney is guilty of. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that Rooney has not done anything wrong. I think he has. It's just that everybody does it. So it's just the thing that we all accept. That's, that's the culture of our country. It clearly is. You know, I know the son were trying to pretend it was just Irish origin people. But like, go to, go to the UK, walk around the streets of a city in the UK just after, uh, you know, around six o'clock and look into the pubs and tell me if they're totally deserted, everybody's gone home. 
everybody's, everybody's gone home preparing for the next day's work so they're going to absolutely give the best of themselves? Or is every pub jammed? Is everybody out just trying to get out of their heads? Just trying to forget about how awful this place, this life. <laughs> whatever, whatever reason it is that people feel this overwhelming need to, from time to time. But drink. Rooney's got the dream job. Therefore, he should give it due respect um, and get the most out of it. Most people, the ninety nine point nine percent of people, what, don't have the dream. Wh- what's the thinking that you need to, that you should only treat your body and mind with respect if someone's paying you three hundred grand a week to do that? I mean, shouldn't you do that anyway? Like why are you why are you poisoning yourself? Why is this different? Anyway, that was my um, yeah, I like it. That was uh, that was my point. I we can at uh, Ken Early's there to give him further abuse. Of course, it wasn't enough to get Rooney in the team against um, Arsenal. He did come on towards the end. Um, did all right. He did okay, I suppose. Although it was a one-all, a one-all with a. a and I remember sending him. <clears throat> I was talking to a friend. I just sent him a WhatsApp. Literally, as the ball was going, Oxford Chamberlain. I think Arsenal could play for the next four hours and not have a shot. <laughs> and literally, and and was looking at the screen. Oxford Chamberlain went past Rashford, curled in a beautiful ball. Really beautiful. You see a player cross the ball like that, and you wonder, why can't they just do that all the time? It didn't even look as though he struck the ball hard at all. It was just, you know, just lifted it nicely to the far post. You know, it was, it was beautifully done. And Giroud, I was, I was almost more impressed by his celebration. Well, the header was huge, but the, but the celebration, you see, he st- stood up real tall. Someone jumped on him, and he just said, oh, no problem, I'll just carry you on my shoulders. Just a couple of little steps to the right. And... Um, yeah, great moment for Arsenal when after a game when they played really, really badly, infuriated Jose Mourinho uh, to the point where he was making this um, bitter joke at the end of, oh, at last, I suppose, it feels like a defeat. At last, I have lost to Arsene. At last, I have lost to Arsene. At last, I have lost to Arsene. He kept repeating so to make sure everyone in the room heard his his sort of muttered aside. Um, of course, he, he hasn't, he still hasn't lost to Arsene. I guess might have been the point of that um, but Manchester United should have won I thought Wenger's celebration he looked like a kid who has just done something wrong and gotten away with it it's just, it was almost like a guilty kind of a grin and celebration followed by the perfunctory handshake that they bothered going through I don't know why Mourinho and Wenger even bother doing that anymore it's good to see I know but uh, I'd rather see them not shake hands and show, the, show, show you their, their true feelings. Well, but yeah, I, I, I didn't actually see what Wenger said after the game, but judging by his demeanour, he looked like he was aware that this wasn't great, but that they'd gotten a point out of it. He was pleased. I mean, Wenger had a tough week, you know, because he was up um, um, sort of pacing around uh, in his mansion late at night, um, raging silently to himself about what Chile were doing to Alexis Sanchez. Oh, yeah. My wounded warrior. And these guys, these guys. And they played Sanchez um, with a strapped up leg. And then Sanchez flew back. And of course, Wenger played him. <laughs> there was never going to be any question about him playing. You know, Wenger had been complaining that Chile are asking him to do, to do too much. If he plays, he's at risk of a serious uh, muscle problem. Could, could miss months. But of course, I'm going to play him. I mean, I've got Giroud on the bench, but of course I'm going to play Sanchez. In the end, maybe it was more of a game for Giroud than it was for Sanchez because United defended in the, you know, the way that they're kind of learning to do under Mourinho. They gave Arsenal very little space. There was no 
when, when Arsenal got the ball, United got behind the ball very quick. There was no space for Ozil to kind of flit around. Yeah. They were all, Arsenal were always sort of on the outside. And it was one of those games where Arsenal just a little bit lacking in the sort of... They end up passing the ball around in front of the other team and no one's really quite sure what to do to break this pattern, which isn't getting them anywhere. And, you know, I thought United, Manchester United deserved to win the game. Um, but as Mourinho was saying, they don't get what they deserve these days. At least he says they don't. But I wonder, I mean, he was talking about the midfield. Um, he says the midfield is playing really well now. Uh, the midfield was Carrick, who didn't play at all for the first few weeks. Um, Pogba and Herrera, Herrera, who's playing very well. Um, now Mourinho seems to have gone from thinking that Carrick was just another guy he had to cross off the list to uh, he, he says Michael's 35 years old it is very sad to know the time flies for every one of us he's such a fantastic player and it's a pity I always loved him but instead of being his manager when he was 25 I'm manager when he's 35 um, I'm still having Michael Carrick and probably for one more season so Basically, he thinks he's, uh, they, you know, it seems to be he's going to give Carrick a new contract, which is a big turnaround. But I suppose at least it shows that Mourinho is a little bit flexible. You know, um, I mean, I'm not saying Schweinsteiger is necessarily going to be back next thing, but he has at least adapted a little bit to what's happening here. I mean, people, you know, Manchester, Manchester United fans have been roaring, screaming for Michael Carrick ever since the start of the season. You know, Mourinho has eventually gone that way and gone, well, actually, this guy does bring something. Yeah, there's been such a, it's the typical case of a player being absent and being talked up as though he's a bit more than he probably is, albeit in England, they they love Carrick. I think English football fans in general uh, have always rated him maybe more highly than people outside of the country I don't know I suppose when, when it's a big English club like that and you've got an English midfielder that's probably quite natural but having said that if your aim is to get the best out of other players I'm thinking Pogba in particular mm. you, surely you've got to look at how you balance the midfield and with Herrera and Carrick there certainly yesterday it looked on Saturday I should say it looked as though Pogba got a you know, a lot more freedom to do what he can do. Yeah, and it's, I think it's interesting that you say that he's more appreciated in England. Xabi Alonso, for instance, said the exact opposite about Carrick. Oh, really? Yeah, he did an interview uh, years ago now, but he was saying, look, you know, you, this, the, uh, the attitude in, uh, towards football in this country is just totally different. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm really boggled by, you know, for instance, Michael Carrick, top player totally underrated in this country. You know, nobody really seems to... But Michael Carrick, I watch him, and he's exactly my idea of what a good footballer should be. Now, obviously, a similar type of player to Xabi Alonso, but, you know... Tall, fr- strong, good passer. From a guy who can, you know, who, who understands that position very well, who understands how a midfielder who makes other players play better, who understands what you do, for for Alonso to recognise that Carrick was good, but in his opinion, he was he was underestimated by English football. And I suppose if you look at his caps for England, that would seem to back that up. I mean, he was winning all these titles. You know what I mean? He was. It's not like he was toiling in obscurity. You know, like Leon Britton or something like that. Who was you know the Xavi of Swansea City, and you know nobody. He's been playing brilliant. He plays brilliantly for years, and people only start to notice towards the end. Carrick was. The middle of the Manchester United midfield, they were winning the league. Wasn't really season. what uh, football fans were looking for in a central midfielder, though, uh, during that, that period. Time, given they had Lampard and Gerrard. Yeah. See, why couldn't they How many goals three? was Michael Carrick going to score, though? There was, there, was, there was... I mean, the idea of playing the three of them 
Never really seemed to happen. It's not like England are really good. I can't believe we're talking about English team selections of, of 10 years ago, by the way. But it is Maybe interesting. We from, well, from the point of view of, uh, of uh, people's perception of Carrick, I mean, it is kind of, you can say that the amount of caps he has is indicative in one way, but it's it's also, it also colours people's opinion of him as well. You yeah. know, that like... He, he wasn't I quite ne- that good. Yeah, never really kind of met it. When, really, if you've been watching Man United for the last... Although, even at that time, he wasn't without his critics at Man United, say 2007, 2008, 2009. It's not like the United fans were going mad for Michael Carrick at that, at no, that when time. You're sure, when you signed from Tottenham, it was like, you know, this guy's average. What are we doing with this? And then suddenly they started winning. The, they won the league the next three seasons in a row. I think like, all his teammates got progressively hmm. worse the longer Manchester United, his Manchester United career went on. He didn't get... He may not have gotten a whole lot better. It's just everyone around him got steadily worse. Let's talk about another man in from the cold, Ken. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he's he's back. Um, I mean, this is it's. I think Pep Guardiola has actually handled this pretty well because he's managed to sort of. Yeah, Torre has obviously come and you know eaten some humble pie, begged for forgiveness and been granted it. Comes back, scores two goals, wins the game for Manchester City, and it could potentially be an awkward one for Guardiola in the sense. Oh, you've been keeping this guy out of the team. You know, you're crazy. Um, but you know, he seems to have kind of. Managed it quite well. I mean, he's managed. He's demonstrated his his power. He's he's proved that even a, a, a really important or uh, not necessarily important in the to the current city team, but important in the last few years of Manchester City. Yeah, there's no bigger name really than yeah, maybe Sergio Aguero. But you know, you're talking about one of the top players at the club for the last few years, and he can he has no problem with with uh, bombing him out if Toure isn't doing what he wants, and now he's got Toure back doing what he wants. Um, and as long as he continues to, you know, keep his weight down, I think that's one of the big issues there. Oh, well, he mentioned it. Pep mentioned that after the yeah. the interview was hilarious. Uh, he, he said uh, he was asked about Torre coming back, and he said, "Yes, well, I'm delighted. Yeah, yeah, he is a, a great person. He is a great person." Yeah. In other words, maybe some people who I've been dealing with in this process connected to Yaya Torre are not so great. are not so great. He is a great person. His weight is perfect at the moment. So, yeah. there's, in other words, stop listening to your agent, keep the weight down, and you could be all right. You can be in the team, yeah. And I mean, sort of, you remember the class that Yaitori has. I mean, the first goal he scored was brilliant. He's just... Ah, oh, great goal, he's, yeah. he's such a good player if he's, you know, kind of up for it. So, it's kind of worked out well. I mean, I think I thought there was a little bit of the, you know, what Mourinho did with Schweinsteiger in the original decision to do what Guardiola decided to do with Toure. But he's now kind of salvaged the player out of the mess. I don't know if Schweinsteiger is capable of doing the same thing, and I don't know if Mourinho would necessarily go back on everything that's happened to, to welcome him back. I guess Schweinsteiger, whose weight has also been a problem, would have to um, would have to get a bit fitter. That's it for Kennedy's Report on Sport. See if you don't get this out with Motherwell, you're a wee mate. Your bags and your desk, boom. Your bags and your desk, boom. I mean, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, I take no beat, I take no, I take no, I take no beat. Just so it's off, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. 
You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans. Just need to fucking work on it. You are nothing. You are a fool. And you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip! He's the biggest fool in Manchester. You will know our next guest for his absolutely brilliant football cartoons for The Guardian. He has a book out now called The Illustrated History of Football. David Squires, how are you? Hello, good thanks. Yourself? Not bad at all. Yeah, not bad. I think we're going to have to start at the start here um, because we've been big fans of your work for the last few years. But can you take us back a little bit further? How did you get into the business of drawing football cartoons for a living? Oh, yeah. Um, it's probably something I'd always done since I was uh, a small child. Um, I was the sort of slightly odd child who would draw his toys rather than, than play with them. And um, inevitably, once I got into football, I started um, drawing um about that as as all children do and probably started making the football cartoons um when i was about probably 15 or 16 um the twin discovery of uh, viz and uh the um burgeoning fanzine culture at the time as well so um i started off just making cartoons showing them to my friends and then built up the confidence to to send them off to uh to football fanzine, uh, fanzines, and um, yeah, just that buzz of, of seeing your work in print, and I guess it would be the same for for journalists as well, seeing you know, their work in a in a newspaper. Um, and yeah, just really carried on like that. It, it was more of a hobby, and I was working um, or studying to become an illustrator, um, a serious illustrator that sort of um, it sort of knocked all the um, the, the cartooning humour um, out of me, I suppose. And I guess it was probably about five or six years ago that I, I picked it up again and um, started sharing it again on, on sort of Twitter and got a bit of a following that way. And that brings us almost up to date. I'm sorry, I've given you my entire life story yeah. again. But you, you, um, you were picked up by The Guardian. Was that because... The 2014 during the 2014 World Cup, you'd done a lot of strips, which proved hugely popular. Like loads of people were sharing them. Is that how it came about? It was exactly that. You're right. Yeah, I think just before the start of the World Cup, Twitter changed their timeline so that you could um, share images straight away. It used to be that you had to click on a link, um, and like whenever there's any change to, to Twitter, people are up in arms. But quietly all illustrators and cartoonists <laughs> were delighted um and yeah during that world cup it, it wasn't anything uh, particularly planned i just started off um uh, doing a cartoon about the first couple of games and i think maybe the second or third one like went spectacularly well got more sort of retweets than which one was anything that, that I'd done before what and, was it what was the subject of that one um I think that one was um, it was Van Persie his goal against Spain his that spectacular diving header from from the edge of the area um, and it was purely just a, a drawing of that goal I had him at the top of the page and then um, a Spanish defender uh, as Ramos um, just at the bottom looking up like comically sort of miles away and um, yeah that took off well, it took off like Van Persie and um, so I just carried on every day and it kind of it did 
feel like one of those things where you start something and then by sort of day 15 and they're into like the last round of group matches and you're trying to find something interesting to say about you know Iran versus whoever and um it was a bit of a, a struggle but um at the same time it taught me that that discipline of, of working every day and trying to think of something new and fresh each day so and it, it all went from there like you say Ken. You have got a really uh, distinctive style in terms of the way I mean you you good at getting likenesses of people but like you can tell that you've drawn it you know what i mean i, I wonder how long it takes to to develop that as a as a i guess a what, what do i call you a cartoonist an illustrator i mean how, how do you get to the point of having a very distinctive style of rendering you know people's faces yeah i think uh, some of it is uh it's just natural um and it's taken me a long time, sort of 20 odd years of getting to a point where I'm comfortable in that style and try to make um, the image of the person fit into my style rather than trying to do a, um, a realistic portrait, which I probably couldn't do anyway. Um, so some of it is, is luck, I feel. I, I do feel like I'm the, the jammiest person in the world sometimes. Um, I mean, there, there are still some players and, and sort of personalities that, that I'm not quite comfortable drawing yet. I haven't quite mastered Gareth Southgate. I've, I've discovered today as I've been trying to draw him. <laughs> um, but but with um, with people like, say, uh, Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho, um, those are ones who have got distinctive faces and um, it doesn't matter if you're, slightly wonky people will will usually work out who, who it is you're talking about well what i like about your Mourinho is how sort of evil he is i mean you, you managed to to kind of capture these the essential bad-tempered uh ill-natured sort of character of jose, jose <laughs> Mourinho in a way that uh, i hadn't really seen done before he's a, a cartoonist's dream he really is and um it's funny with Jose. Like the other day, I was I saw that Paul Gascoigne film that was out a couple of years ago. I hadn't seen it until the other day, and there's um there's a bit where he's one of the talking heads in the film, and I didn't recognise him because uh, it was almost like a soft focus or a Vaseline on the screen kind of moment. But it, all it was, I think, was he was smiling and he was relaxed and he wasn't playing the game you know he was just talking openly and honestly about um a player that he admired or you know for the purposes of the film said he did anyway and he was almost unrecognizable um so i don't believe he's you know pure evil but i think he's so deeply caught up in this um character he's made for himself he he can't um you know he can't escape from it now you, uh, one thing that's notable about uh, your cartoons is the number of little details. I mean, if you're looking at them, they, they will usually reward a second uh, viewing because there's a lot of little things going on in them which are often making references to things that have happened during the week. I mean, I find out about things sometimes. I, I mean, the, one example of it I, I can think of is the, um, the Aston Villa fan who taped a dildo to his head. And I, I remember, <laughs> I remember seeing it, 
in, in the cartoon. Yeah, that's a cartoonist dream, Ken. Well, I, I, I saw this and I thought, <laughs> why? I thought, why? That's, that was actually the one when John Delaney was peeping over my shoulder at the... Um, at some Ireland press conference, John Delaney was standing behind me, and I oh, wow. and I looked around and and saw him peeping at my screen. And on the screen was, and I kind of I'd made the picture really big so I could really see what was going on. And it was just a man with a penis apparently coming out of his forehead. And Delaney kind of smirked. Yeah. But I mean, I, maybe he'd seen the Aston Villa fans doing that. I hadn't. But what's what strikes me about it, I mean, you're based in Australia. I don't, whether people know that, I'm not sure. How do you find the time to absorb? You, you must watch and kind of read a vast amount of football coverage in order to get all these little, um, uh, to, 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 to mine all, all these kind of little data points that you use as references. I think, um, I, I don't actually watch as much football as, as you might think. Um, uh, apart from during the major tournaments, um, those are, that's the only time when, when I watch a match. Um, because, the the time zone is unfriendly um and with the major tournaments you know that if say i don't know belgium are playing um luxembourg or something in a group game not that luxembourg would ever qualify but anyway um everyone is watching that whereas on an average sort of premier league weekend say the only people i suspect who watched Stoke versus Bournemouth at the weekend, the people at the ground. Um, so what I really tend to do is I do spend probably an unhealthy amount of time on Twitter, um, which lets me, it gives me an idea of the kind of things that, that people are talking about because I am so far away from, from the culture um, and the conversations. Seeing stuff like the, say like the Aston Villa fan, um, that actually was one game that, that I had watched. I'd, I'd got up early to watch it, and uh, I think it was an FA Cup match. And um, I was sure that I'd seen what I thought I saw. And um, and then, yeah, once I, I took to social media, I saw that there were a lot of people talking about it. But it's there is a bit of guesswork on my part. Um, I can never quite tell how many people are talking about it. And I'm aware that, there have been occasions where I've baffled huge numbers of people because I've assumed that this is the thing that everyone is talking about in the UK. And um, when it's actually, when the cartoon is published, there's maybe a handful of people who are actually talking about it. So um, so it's not an exact science. Have you had any negative feedback, David, from subjects of your illustrations? Has anyone taken unkindly to... Um, maybe their physical representation or your your representation of whatever story they're involved in? Uh, I've been pretty lucky. Um, no one has, has got in contact with me so far. The only person who, who did was a member of the public. Uh, again, this relates to Jose Mourinho. It was around the time that he was um, on the verge of being sacked at Chelsea and um, there was a Chelsea or a few Chelsea fans were making sort of homemade banners um, out of sort of bed sheets or bits of cardboard, you know. And um, there was one guy who he was seemed to be forever on TV with these sort of homemade um, banners about Jose. And then he went on, I think, Sky Sports News and he'd he'd roped in um, two women who I assume were related to him. And he did this um, 
he performed this song that he'd written about Jose and how much he loved him and how he wanted him to stay. And I depicted him in this cartoon and he got in contact and I, you know, my heart sank, but he, he just sorry, wanted sorry, to. Sorry, David, do you mean I, the guy, I, do you mean the guy who's there on TV and he's singing Jose Mourinho, this, he, he's. Yes. Oh God, right. He, he actually got in touch. <laughs> he actually got in touch. What did, what, what happened? Uh, well, not much. He got, he just, uh, when he explained who he was, I thought, oh no. <laughs> um, but he just wanted to, he just wanted to, the original he wanted the original artwork um <laughs> which I, I didn't give him but um <laughs> but yeah that that's the only time that anyone has ever got in contact um with me and i'm i'm glad to keep it that way i'm happy to keep like an arm's length from from the football world you know well one, um, one thing that you can uh, you can see that is definitely uh, is present in your cartoons is a kind of a political edge or slant i mean your twitter avatar at least the last time i checked was a picture of david cameron with these a pair of smooth buttocks for a face um <laughs> and, you know and, and for instance you did one on the poppies recently there's there's been a few references to the kind of you know wave of fascism that threatens to engulf the, the UK mm. in, in that, you know, we, we can tell from the, um, from, you know, the results of recent votes and so on, that a lot of people disagree quite strongly with that type of view. Do you feel, do, do you get criticized for having a, a particular political stance or do you feel that it in some way maybe reduces the audience that you can reach because mm. some people are like, here is SJW cartoonist David Squires. Yeah, uh, that is something I've noticed more in the last maybe four or five months. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things. Firstly, I, I'm impressed that you, you recognize that's David Cameron from the, um, from the smooth, um, buttocks. <laughs> Who the, else um, could it be? The Avatar. I know. Surprisingly few people have, have picked that up. So uh, I'm delighted that you noticed that. But, but yeah, on, on to your, your main question. Yeah, things things certainly have changed, and I've noticed in the last few weeks I've had more pushback. As I've touched on some of those um, political areas, I, I did a, a drawing with um, Trump and Farage last week, and um, I had a bit bit of pushback on that and the poppy thing as well. I think the first cartoon I did for the Guardian was two years ago, and it was um, on the subject of, of poppies. Um, and here we are two years later and it's really the, the same stuff um but i did get a fair bit of um negative feedback from that um and it's, it's a similar story in australia as well you know i i do a cartoon down here for guardian australia about the a-league which doesn't quite have as much material but obviously my political opinions and, and position is still broadly the same yeah, yeah, a social justice warrior is, you know, people who express compassion are now, are now called. Um, and I haven't quite had as much sort of pushback here yet, but um, the political situation here is pretty toxic as well. So um, I'm a bit more uh, relaxed about getting that kind of unpleasant feedback now. Uh, whereas when I first started, I was sort of, petrified of the comment section and um what was going on below the line whereas now 
I'm, I'm, I'm more relaxed about it. Well, I'm sure it'll all be positive feedback uh, with regards to the book, David, The Illustrated History of Football. What are you trying to do with this? Yes, so uh, it's a, uh, a literal title, obviously. It's um, the entire history of, of football told over the course of uh, just over 90 cartoons, I think. So um, we start with the um, the early game um, with, I think it, the first cartoon is some um, cavemen kicking a, a skull around, that kind of thing, and then go through codification and right the way through to the present day. Um, I think one of the last cartoons is Leicester winning the Premier League. Um and yeah, anyone who's seen the, the cartoons in The Guardian will, will know um, my sort of approach and the things they can expect. And um, yeah, it was good fun. It took about a year all up and um, I'm just starting work on, on the second book, on the follow-up now. Um, and I think I'm about 10 cartoons in and um, yeah, already getting that same sort of feeling about, oh, wow, what am, how, am I, how am I ever going to finish this? But, um, but yeah, it's on the way. Yeah, well, you've got one already out there on the shelves, David. So don't be don't be too stressed about the second one just yet. Uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely great to talk to you, David Squires. Thanks a million for chatting today. Thanks so much. Thank you. Great stuff there from David, and we recommend you go out and get the book. Uh, I was a little bit, one part of it was over my head, though, Ken, when you guys were talking about the the Chelsea fan who got in touch with them, the Mourinho, the Arch Mourinho supporter, uh, singing the song. I hadn't heard about this guy. Yeah. Um, now, it kind of had to be seen to be believed, right. but uh, if you want to hear it... I think we've heard Jose Mourinho, the man who stole the show You're the special one and you're dynamo Whoa, whoa So, I mean, what we're talking about here is like a You know, a man in firmly ensconced in middle age Respectable looking sort of man You could imagine him easily working in a solicitor's office Or, you know, some such place He's with a couple of women who seem slightly more abashed than he is to be <laughs> participating in this spectacle. And uh, he sings that uh, song and everyone is just thinking, everyone, it, I think people see it and they really pause to reflect on what's becoming of us as a, as a planet. Simon seemed genuinely, you know, confused and hurt that you made him watch this and record this. Ah, uh, you know, it's good for everyone's... Uh, I think everyone was at least slightly amused by the side of this this uh, thing. Helsingborg have been traditionally one of the big teams in Sweden. Not anymore, though. Relegated at the weekend, but uh, relegated in fairly, geez, fairly shocking circumstances. Philip O'Connor is based in Stockholm. Can fill us in, Philip, on this story. Henrik Larsson is involved there now, and his son was attacked. Uh, 
Yeah, basically that's what happened. Yeah, as Henrik's son Jordan is 19 years of age. Uh, he's been playing at the club for the last couple of seasons. And uh, what happened was that uh, Jordan scored in the 83rd minute of the playoff against Hansstad Ball Club. Uh, Hansstad are in the Super Etan, which is the second tier. So the third last team, the Allsvenskan, and uh, one of the top teams in Super Etan, they meet in a relegation playoff. And the prize that plays in the Allsvenskan. So uh, uh, Jordan had scored and he thought he'd done enough to keep Helsingborg up. They've had a terrible couple of seasons on because they don't really have a whole lot of money anymore. So Henke has been signing players and not paying them the best, but they're doing their best. And, you know, the outcome of that was this relegation playoff. Jordan scored, but unfortunately, Hamstad centre back scored two goals in the last couple of minutes, giving them a 3 2 aggregate victory. And that's when it all kicked off. So what happened basically was that Henrik and Jordan went over towards the Helsingborg supporters to commiserate with them. This is in their home ground as well. And instead of being met by sort of, you know, by sort of sad supporters who were looking forward to a season in the second tier, they had chairs thrown at them, they had flags thrown at them. Uh, and then a couple of masked men made their way down onto the field and they basically said to Jordan, you're not worthy of wearing the shirt, take it off. And as he took it off, one of them punched him. And uh, Henrik is a, a very sort of quiet guy. He doesn't often answer a text or a phone call from journalists. But of course, Henrik was very uh, upset at that and basically was uh, ready to punch the head off one of them. And indeed, he said in the paper uh, last night, he told a Swedish journalist friend of mine that, you know, I was ready to fight them. He said, uh, I probably would have got a kick in, but by Jesus, they would have got a kick in as well. So really, really awful scenes in Helsingborg yesterday. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised Henrik Larsson wanted to punch them. This, this is a Swedish legend. This is the Swedish legend, really, up until Zlatan anyway. And he played for Helsingborg a couple of times and is now their head coach. Aside from the violent element to it, it seems like an amazingly disrespectful act by a, a small group of fans. Yeah, this is what got me as well. It's like, you know, it's hard to describe what Henrik Larsson has meant for Swedish football, you know. In the pre-Latin era, he was the one who kept it all going. Go back to the iconic dreadlocks of 1994. You know, this is basically like, you know, kicking the Queen Mother, if you ask me, you know. And it's just, it's extremely disrespectful. He finished his career there. He came back there. When he went on loan from Helsingborg to Manchester United, he managed the thing with great sensitivity. He's always taken the fans into account. And he's had a hard time this year, Owen, explaining to fans why things have been going so badly. But they've had a sort of a, you know, a wage structure there which is way off what the major clubs in Sweden would have had but there's another undercurrent there on which is fascinating and that's the fact that you know, organised hooliganism in Sweden in Sweden of all places there is a, you know, a fairly big and growing problem there and Helsingborg supporters will be probably at the front of that along with the likes of Malmö FF AIK Hugh Gordon and Hammarby in Stockholm and of course uh, Gothenburg there on the west coast so it's something that's been bubbling under for years and it sort of comes and goes in waves but at the moment Helsingborg is suffering very very badly from that because this vacuum that's created by a lack of success it leads supporters at these what they call category C uh, risk supporters to believe that they can do whatever they want uh, lack of success as in lack of football success for their football club or some other type of lack of success I mean why yeah no it's definitely the football club, Ken, because if you remember, uh, the last club to make it to the Champions League group stages before Malmo in the last couple of seasons was actually Helsingborg, back when they knocked out Robbie Keane's Inter, I think around about 99-2000 there. So they kind of got used to that, and they've been in the top flight now for 27 years. They've been there or thereabouts for many of those years, but basically, uh, they got it economically wrong, kind of like Shells did in Ireland back in the day, you know, where they were borrowing money thinking, you know, if we can just get to the Europa League, if we can go- just get to the Champions League, they went down that slippery slope, and the local council has had to come in and bail them out. Uh, one of the banks that sponsors them has had to come in and bail them out. So they've really made a mess of the economic side of it. And I spoke to Henrik about this. You know, there's two conversations you have with Henrik Larson. One is when he's in great form and wants to talk to you. And the other, you needn't bother even starting. When you say hello to him, you just know if he's going to talk to you or not. And uh, the last time I was talking to him was pretty much that conversation. He didn't want to talk about the wages. He didn't want to talk about the financial difficulties. He told right, okay, this is the situation. We have to learn to live with it. I think he meant both him as manager and the supporters have to learn to live with it. But it's very easy for a man 
manager to say that supporters who've been used to seeing their team winning and sort of you know fighting for the the Swedish title, are, you know they don't want relegation battles, and these guys can get very very nasty very very quickly. Yeah, but you know, like you like you saying that sort of um, organised hooligan movement. Um, which is not just confined to Helsingborg, you know, you mentioned Hammerby, some other clubs. Um, why is that happening? Um, you know, I think this is the kind of the fight club mentality. Um, there has been this sort of great respect for English football and the sort of the firm culture that existed in the 70s in England. You know, there are a certain amount of people who are attracted to that. The adrenaline, uh, you know, the, the use of amphetamines, this kind of thing, you know. So it is a subculture that's there. One of the very strong things, and, you know, the unfortunate thing is that this is going to go out over other supporters, the ultras who do their best to do their TFOs and to, to sing for their club and that kind of thing. I'm sure they're equally disappointed today, but I didn't see too many of them putting on masks and coming down to have a dig at Jordan or Henrik yesterday, you know. So fan culture is very, very complicated. And as I say, I don't want to lump the two in together, but there's a minority. I'd say there's probably about 40, 50, 60 active hooligans in many clubs with maybe, you know, a tail, a long tail of maybe 100 then, you know. And they do. They organise to meet up in these sort of, you know, industrial estates and bait the shite out of one another for want of a better expression. And for them, it's part of football. You know, for the rest of us who are watching for the press box and watching an icon like Henry Glasson be treated like that, they're absolutely not part of the game that I love. Yeah, pretty bizarre, all right? Listen, Philip, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Bye, lads. Bye-bye. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Philip O'Connor there in Stockholm. And just as an add-on, uh, I'm looking at further quotes from Henrik Larsson. If any, it was put to him, okay, Henrik, you're talking pretty aggressively about these thugs. What if any hooligans come to your house? And he says, I have many dogs at home. So he's really putting... <laughs> Monty Burns-esque yeah. there from uh, Henrik Larsson. I rang Henrik Larsson once. Mm-hmm. Um, the conversation went... Hi, uh, Henrik, my name is Kennedy. I'm a journalist from... And then it just... <laughs> so he was in one of those less talkative moods by the sound of it. Just hung, hung up immediately. It wasn't even like, let me finish the sentence and then said, no, sorry, mate. <laughs> just hung up. So it's like, all right, don't, just don't call him. He's not, he's not interested. Pretty scary stuff, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty weird. Like, I mean, what, you know, why those people would feel so strongly as to do that... Is, you know, I, don't, I can't really fathom the uh, the reasons, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's so rare. It's like, you know, can you imagine? I mean, I'm sure there was plenty of Liverpool fans who felt that Paul Dogleish probably wasn't fit to wear the shirt, in the, you know, in, in that sense. But I can't imagine they would have gone and torn it off. And in fact, the only time I can remember it happening in recent times, in, well, in English football, was, remember the Everton fan who ran up to Alex Nyarko? No. Alex Nyarko... Um, Literally demanded really, his shirt. It was an was ugly. It? it was an ugly incident. Uh, mm. Nyarko was playing for Everton. wasn't having a great game. Fan got on the pitch, ran up, grabbed the shirt, and was. Uh, I think he was saying, "We we need to swap shirts, us, because you're not fit to wear that Everton shirt." Something like that. Mm. But it, there was a, there was a real nasty edge to it. You know what I mean? You, you know there was there there was definitely some kind of 
racist uh, element to what was going on. It was it was it was hideous. So it's not it's I mean, has it happened a little bit in in, uh, in Italy recently? The Inter ultras were were angry at their captain. I don't know, but uh, it's bad anyway. You don't you don't want to see that kind of thing out. Bit of Tony Pulis news before we wrap things up. So tonight it's West Brom against Burnley, which brings together two British managers, Tony Pulis and Sean Dyche, which created the opportunity um, for the local press in Birmingham to talk to Tony Pulis. They, I suppose they're doing their previews and they look back over, well, has Sean Dyche said anything interesting? And, of course, Sean Dyche, uh, a little while ago, um, he... Uh, he <laughs> This is great. Back in August, Sean Dyche says, they questioned me for playing 4-4-2. And then everyone played it last year, and it was, oh, amazing, Claudio Ranieri. Amazing, tactical genius. Jurgen Klopp, Klopp came in and played sort of 4-4-2. Let's run really hard and press. People thought it was incredible. Wasn't Sean Dyche doing that years ago when he got here? Oh, well. <laughs> Antonio Conte came in at Chelsea. He got commended for bringing a hard, fast, new leadership to Chelsea, which involved doing 800-meter runs, 400-meter runs, 200-meter runs. Come to my training and see Sean Dyche doing that. You'd say, dinosaur, a young English dinosaur manager. Hasn't got a clue. So is it perception or is it fact? I have no problem with it. It's the reality, I say. <laughs> so he has no problem with it. Uh, so Sean Dyche. So, so everyone said, oh, this sounds right up Tony Peelis' alley. Something about these quotes made the Birmingham local journalist think, oh, we might put these to Tony. I wonder what he thinks of that. <laughs> Tony Pulis, well, that's the way it is. They come into this country, they're sexy, they're new, they're bright. That's fine. Brilliant. Not a problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> Good footballer uh, manager talk there. I listen to them. They say Klopp trains them three times a day in preseason. Absolutely amazing. I'd never have thought of that. That's what Sean's on about. They do stuff that's astonishing that we've never heard of, <laughs> says Tony Pulis. So, yeah, can you just... I mean, especially the thing with when Deitch is saying, oh, Ranieri doesn't... Ranieri won the league! Ranieri won the league with Leicester City. That's why people were giving him credit. Yeah. Win the league, and you will get the credit. It's like, you know, build it and they will come, win it, and you will get the credit. If an English manager was to win the Premier League with Leicester City or a comparable club, or even with Manchester United or, you know, Chelsea, I think they'd be getting plenty of credit. Believe it or not, I actually think the English press is quite willing to give credit to English football men who excel. I honestly believe mm. that they're willing to do that. The thing is, you, you first have to really excel. So, you know, our Ranieri, tactical genius, because it's not because he's foreign, it's because he won the title. <laughs> I so, would, in fairness, read the article that says Sean Dyche is playing 4-4-2 and getting Burnley's results, and therefore that makes him a radical, pioneering new manager. Well, I'd like to see I mean, I mean, I, I think there's, there's a writer stretching somewhat for his 700 words in that particular week. A young dinosaur English manager. We've got another Irish Times Second Captains podcast coming out today featuring Andy Murray's win against Novak Djokovic last night. So come join the celebrity party and talk to us about that one or listen to us chatting about it anyway. And the, what else are we talking about? Oh, of course, the New Zealand's, New Zealand media's outrageous reaction, or outrage reaction, I should say, to the Irish media's outrage reaction to the outrageously violent approach that New Zealand took to decapitating a number of our 
poor innocent rugby players. I can't believe they go there. I just can't believe the All Blacks went there. <sighs> they went there, Ken. And we're going to go there on their other podcast today. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, girl. Thanks for listening. Twitter, at Second Captains, if you want to get any tweets to us in the meantime. Thanks a minute. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.